The Future Sickos podcast is presented by DraftKings. While I might be a huge Ottawa Senators fan, whenever the Buffalo Bills are playing, I have to be watching the game. I also have to be betting on the game using DraftKings. New customers can now bet just $5 on any one NFL team to win their game, and if they do, will win $200 in free bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL. What is going on, Future Sickos fans and Sens fans? We are pleased to be joined today by Nick Robinson, who is going to be a new member of the Future Sickos uh, podcast. So, Nick, how's it going? I'm good, Jack. Good. Glad to be here. Pumped to talk some Sens hockey. You know, things have been a bit rough lately, but still uh, pumped to get into all of it. Yeah, we got we we got a lot to talk about, and I think that's an understatement. It's uh, it's been a while since we've had a post game show or anything, but uh, you know, it's just it hasn't gotten better. I think the last game we did was the Bruins game, and there were some positives to take from that one. But since then, they've had one win, and as the calendar flips to December, which is going to be their next game, the Senators have one win in the month of November, a schedule that was pretty set to test them. I think that was fair, and. You know, we'll get into what we thought of their actual play on the ice, but at the end of the day, the results are not there, and the answers are also not there. Uh, I've taken time this whole road trip. I said, you know, this this is a big four games. If they can get two points or four points out of this, you know, go 500, it would go a long way. Uh, and they didn't get it done. So I, I, I'm a little speechless, I guess. But you know, there's there's a lot of problems we can isolate bit of a loaded question to start here, but what do you think is the main problem for the Senators right now? Yeah, it is a loaded question because there's there's a lot of things you can mention in that. But I think just for me, I think the one big thing is, you know, they didn't start. They started okay in their first five games, but, you know, around the 10 game mark, the cracks were starting to show a bit. But you could say back then they were still at least playing pretty well. And I think the big thing right now is that, you know, the last 10 games, they simply haven't played well at all and they're not getting results because of it. So defensively, they're an absolute train wreck back there. Like I, it's, it's been bad over the past three, four years, but I think this is a low point for that defense group, which is pretty nuts considering Thomas Shabbat, you could argue is playing the best hockey of his career. Yeah, I I, th- I definitely think he is. And I was diving into some Shabbat stats uh, today and he, he's somehow still plus two on this season, which is uh, uh, like mind boggling to me. He's just, Definitely the only plus player on on the team. Uh, and I kind of expected this year to be more of a, you know, we'd see what the core could do in like a, def- like when their backs are against the wall, like it's them, there's nothing else. You know, last season was a little uh, iffy, but I was looking, I was looking forward to coming on a post game thing or complaining on Twitter about Brady Kachuk throwing the puck at the net too much and it's costing them wins. But like, that's far from the issue right now. Like it's not, uh, the the things that we were expecting to focus on are not happening, and it's right back to square one. It feels like with this team, um, you know, I think going into the off season after the finish to the year that they had, and not even just the finish, but since I believe February fifteenth, they had the third best record in the North Division, which is crazy to think about. Like they would have been in the playoffs, um, and playing the Oilers in the in the second round or first round there, if the season had started on the fifteenth. But you know. 
I think I expected them to be a lot more competitive. And I do think that they are in games more than it seems, you know, like the sharks games are a perfect example of how the season's gone. It's a six, three finish, but with two empty netters, you know? So I feel, I feel like uh, they're there, but it's just, it feels like they're, I, have, I think I described it as like, a, it's the feeling when you have a, a word on the tip of your tongue, but you can't remember the name for it. That's what it feels like watching Absolutely. the play. Like they're just like one or two steps or moves or pieces from just being really, really good. Cause that power play is a great example. Like they look so good sometimes. And then last night they have a five minute advantage and don't do anything on it. Like th- there's just so many issues that we could talk about right now. Um, I guess, I guess we could kind of spin it in a, in a positive way. So in the last, let's say two weeks, uh, in the month of November, if you, I can't remember who they played in the first game, but who has, who was your number one star? And I don't think there are many, uh, standouts, but who do you think played the best in the month of November? Well, it's pretty wild. Cause he missed most of the month. Um, it ended up being, but Drake Batherson, you know, I think has been the Senator's best player all season with all due respect to Thomas Shabbat. Um, you know, he's been great, but I think Drake Batherson has hit another level this season, and that's been huge. And, you know, the core is getting a bit of criticism. You know, Stutzla is not performing. Norris has been, you know, he's had his moments, like he had that bad turnover in Anaheim on Friday yeah. and stuff like that. But, you know, this core was going to be tested this season. It's a bit different of an animal when you're playing the same group of teams every, every week like they were in the North Division versus now. And I think... Can, considering you know guys like Norris and Kachuk have fared really well but Batherson has hit another level um so I'd say he was definitely the Senators most impressive player in November but you know Shabbat's like a close second he's been consistently very very good and I I feel bad for him just because you know alongside Zub he looked really really strong but you know they've had to break that up as we all know just to accommodate the other pairs and we expected the defense was going to, you know, probably be better this season just because that seemed like a primary objective for them heading into the off season and little was done to address it. And it's ended up being what it is. And even with a guy like Lassie Thompson stepping in, looking pretty comfortable and he's, he's been really impressive for me. Um, it just speaks to the quality around them that with a couple of standout performers still on the blue line, it's just being sunk by a couple of yep. players. Yeah, and it's clear too, you know, I, I, I spoke earlier, like Shabbat has a plus two rating and I, I haven't checked, but I'm assuming that that top line, all the top guys are still uh, in the minuses. Um, and I think it's because they don't get to play with Shabbat all the time, right? And he has that kind of impact on the ice on everyone, uh, and especially Zub. And I honestly, lately too, the last few weeks, especially right before the COVID break and then right after, I thought Zub has looked a little, not as good if that makes sense like he was really good and he was making really subtle plays and stuff but he wasn't standing out with his subtle plays anymore i don't think i think he had a, he had a really good game last night but um i agree i think i think with all the promise around the core uh and and certainly the core has been challenged this year and you mentioned norris too that that's a good one to bring up because he quietly has eight goals on the team and he's leading the team in scoring uh but very quietly at that i think he's made some glaring off like I don't want to say out of character because at the end of the day, like he hasn't played a hundred games yet. The NHL, we don't know. We still don't know exactly what he is. And I think of the, all the future projections of this lineup, I think Norris is the one that we kind of all just assumed was going to stay the same because of how he played last year. But albeit it was a very small sample size. Uh, And I think that he's, he's had 
you know, he's experiencing the sophomore slump more than Stutzla is, which is, and, and Timmy's getting all the headlines, but I think Norris is experiencing it more and, you know, he's making mistakes that he shouldn't normally be making. Uh, I think to that Bruins game when he, he fumbled the puck on the blue line, like just little things like that, that, and then you mentioned the turnover in Anaheim, um, you know, and he, he honestly, he got a bit of a demotion last game. I think DJ kind of put him down and, and didn't, uh, put him with Kachuk for the first time in what feels like a year at least. Uh, so I think you're right. And I, I guess as for my standout player, I, I would obviously go with Shabbat. I think he's just been, um, like you said, on another level. Uh, I've been frustrated with him a little bit, uh, just offensively. I feel like he doesn't shoot the puck enough. Um, and the game where they played the Avalanche, I was watching Makar, and obviously Kale Makar is on another level. Yeah. Uh, but the way that he just releases the puck, especially on the power play, it's so lethal, and it just – it, it makes that offense buzz a little bit more. Um, but the fact that I'm nitpicking a little thing out of Thomas Shabbat's game that I want him to do better, that's what I wanted for the whole team going forward. But it hasn't been like that. And, uh, you know, we, that's probably, probably it for the positives. You mentioned Lassie Thompson. I think he was a great story, and I hope that he stays with the team. I don't know why he was healthy scratched. I don't think uh, it was addressed at all after the game, which is really frustrating. Yeah, it's um, surprising for sure. Yeah, and I think that was probably due to you know the the bites and everything, which is understandable. But um, man, it's hard to find stuff to talk about with this team, and I, I do think that stuff is coming. You know, other than waiver moves, and there were some big ones that we should obviously hit on. Um, Adam Goddett was claimed, and that was a smaller transaction. But the bigger piece was moved down, and that was the starting goaltender for the Ottawa Senators, Matt Murray was put on waivers on Saturday night um, for the purpose of being sent to Belleville. It wasn't, you know, a reassignment. It wasn't, or um, a conditioning stint, which they sometimes label them as he was put out there. And if someone wanted to take him, they could have. And this comes 13 months after they traded in what was a reasonable trade, I thought. And then, but then the contract that followed because he was an RFA was what turned a lot of heads and it was the four year, $25 million contract handed to Matt Murray uh, last fall before right around the draft. Um, What happened? It's just so apparent now. I think that DJ Smith just doesn't want Matt Murray as a starting goaltender. I think that's completely evident at this point based on his comments um, about the goaltending. There's been a few of them in the past week, especially, I think it's just a bit of a disconnect between Dorian and Smith. And we haven't seen a lot of that, um, that's that's one thing I would point out. They've seemed very um, connected in, during Smith's reign as head coach now in his third season. Um, it seems like they're really working together on a lot of the moves, a lot of the players being brought in. There's a lot of communication there, but I think this is the first time we're seeing a real disconnect between the two because Pierre Dorian brought Matt Murray in, signed him to that big contract, like you said. And it, it's just clear, I think, that this was a lot of Smith's doing, just saying simply he wants to roll with Philip Gustafson and Anton Forsberg, um, you know, so it sort of ties Dorian's hands. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just simply a money move and you're looking to move some money away from the roster and just trying to see if anybody would be willing to take him. There was, I think, rumors that Buffalo and Arizona may have potentially been interested. But um, again, it just seems like to me, it's probably more DJ Smith just saying, I want to roll with these two guys. Let's just get Murray somewhere at least. Um, he's going to get some starts because I don't think Smith is um, content on keeping him just on the roster to sit in the press box at this point. 
I think that's a good point too. And and the way DJ's mentioned the uh, uh, goaltending, and we'll get into the the media availabilities in a second because Ian Mendez had an article that we're we're going to talk about. Um, I think the way DJ has has expresses opinions with the goaltending is what a lot of the fans have been feeling, right? I mean, this is a team, we know that they're young. We know that they need to um, have, they need a, a goalie back there who's going to be able to steal them games. And that's not a, I think that's, that could be said for any team in the NHL. Like no, no team in the NHL is going to be on their A game every night. Uh, and, you know, the goalie is the only guy out there playing 60 minutes. So he has to be on his A game every night. And I think that's a very reasonable expectation to set. So you look at a guy like Philip Gustafson, who I think in the last few weeks has tailed off a little bit. He wasn't, um, he was, he's just been the better option and the best option. Uh, his stats have taken a bit of a hit, but it's hard to look at the stats um, for any of the three, to be honest, and, and be indicative of their play. But there's, there's the very old hockey rhetoric that a goalie can get a coach, you know, a well, lot of a big contract yeah. or they can get them fired. And I think we're seeing that right now, right? Because the goaltenders. Yeah have never been good during DJ Smith's tenure. It's always like we've been waiting for the goaltending to improve. We, we've used a lot of goaltenders in the past three years, but yep. it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen, um, at least with this group. And again, Gustafson has been fine. It, like you mm-hmm. said, he's probably just the better option at this point. But like Norris, like Stutzla, Gustafson is simply just making mistakes and playing yeah. how you'd expect a young player to play. And I guess that's what happens, right? Um, just like Gustafson, we weren't expecting him. He probably wasn't expecting to be in a starting role in the NHL at this point already. Mm-hmm. Just like Josh Norris and Tim Stutzla probably aren't first-line type players on a lot of other teams in the NHL. That's the roles that they're being thrusted into just because there isn't a lot of quality veteran players on this team. And yeah. that's, I sort of think, what the end result ends up being. And I think sometimes we we definitely lose sight of that, especially this fan base, because there's a lot of expectation on these guys to perform like they've been in the league five, six years. But at the end of the day, Gustafson, like a lot of others, is, you know, it's his real first stint in the NHL. And, you know, this yeah. is the sort of stuff that's going to happen. And I will say, though, Gustafson looked fantastic last night. I don't think any of the goals mm-hmm. were really bad goals, per se. I think that's the thing, too. The fact that I'm measuring by how many soft goals are the Sens goalies have been letting in is indicative of how Matt Murray has played. Like it's been to the point where it's at least one or two just savable goals every game. And the San Jose game to me was uh, a breaking point for the entire team. And it clearly was because he was put on, he was scratched and then put on waivers. But uh, that game I think was the best I've seen this team play all season. Like it was a full 60 minutes Yes, they broke down a couple times in their own end. Maybe like on that Meyer goal, that was a tough one to give up. It was a bad penalty, you know, bad penalties here and there. But those are the kind of things you can live with when your goalie makes saves. And he was not making saves. I went through the stats of his after that game. Uh, it was a 10.30 start and it was it was late at night and everyone's... It was probably the most engaged I've seen this fan base in, in a while, to be honest. And it was after a, a crushing loss uh, at 1.30 in the morning. But... Matt Murray has had uh, some 20, not, not a ton of starts, like I think under 30 and in a sense Jersey. And he's had one game this season, at least in seven starts where he's made more than 30 saves. Like that's not going to cut it, whether whatever way you slice it. And I know that the Sens give up a lot of shots and they do, they give up a lot of shots, 
but there's some advanced uh, metrics. I know JFresh uh, Analytics put out some stuff that said, uh, you know, the Sens are middle of the pack, like actually, I think 12th or ninth, in between 12 and 19 for five on five shots against. And like like the quality of the, they measure the quality of the shots against. And that's indicative that the goaltending just hasn't been good enough, um, despite the chances that they might be giving up every now and then. And I think the San Jose game was the perfect opportunity of that. I think Meyer's goal was the only one where they really let them get behind them. You know what I mean? Um, so that was, it was a very frustrating game. And I think if they won that one, then they have the confidence. It's, it's a, it's a ripple effect. And uh, he just wasn't up to, up to the task. Um, but we could, we could go on and on about Matt Murray. It, it's, I, I truly hope he finds his game in Belleville. He seems like a great guy. Obviously all these guys are really good people. Um, but you know, the way that they were reporting it sounded like obviously his camp wasn't very happy about it. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious as to how it all went down. Like, was it, a you know, Dorian sending a message to DJ being like, fine, here you go. We're doing it. And they just did it. Or was it, you know, I can't, we don't really know how frustrated Pierre Dorian is with the way the team's played because he hasn't spoken since he signed Brady Kachuk on opening night. Uh, and that's kind of where I wanted to lead this next thing into and Ian Mendez, who we've had on the show before, great guest with The Athletic, uh, wrote an article today and just released it about around five and said, basically, like, management needs to speak up. And I think it was maybe mid-November or mid-October, like after a few games, where Mark Bergevin, who just got rele- fired today, came out and like had a press conference about why the Canadians were 0-5 because it's a big market and they expect answers. The Sens are not a big market, and I don't think that it's obviously the same standard, but with where this team is and what was said before this season and what it is now, like I just don't understand how much longer they can stay quiet. And and I don't it's infuriating as a fan. Like you you have to I understand if they're on a road trip, it, it doesn't make like logistical sense if not all the media is there or whatever. They're home now. They have two days off. Get in front of a, a microphone and don't just sit there and do an interview with the guy we were all thinking about. Like answer the media. If if anyone is listening and has the time and has an athletic subscription, please go read that article. The questions that Ian Mendez laid out are exactly what need to be asked of the management. And, and it's just, it's, it's really frustrating um, to, to have a lack of answers. And you know what? I, I kind of going off here, but I, I think that they are feeling the same way because a lot of it you can attest to, Oh, it's poor roster construction. It's poor coaching decisions, but some of it is like, I don't know where this team went. Like in half these games, they look like they're right there with them. And it's some of it's just inexplicable and it, it's, it's a tough to find answers, but that's their job and they got to do it. Yeah. And I'll just go back to the point I made earlier on that, where they just disappear in some games. It's again, it's a quality that's more so seen in young players and stuff like that, that are on a lot of good teams playing lower on the lineup, second, third line. And that's sort of the problem the senators are faced with right now is that all those young players that typically have those lapses, sometimes typically, are a bit streakier and stuff like that. Those are the players that they are relying on them to win games. So they're going to have those ups and downs. Obviously they had them last season. There was a lot of down to start. And then when everything started to come together, how much fun were they to watch in the back half of the season last year? Mm -hmm. I'm sure things are 
not going to be this bad for 82 games. It would be crazy if it were, but yeah, there's, there's going to be a rise again with this young group of players and stuff like that. But like you said, um, now is the time we need to sort of hear from upper management, sort of what the plan is, why things have happened, why things didn't happen in the off season as was promised. Mm-hmm. The one thing I sort of find interesting is that when Pierre Maguire was hired and it was mentioned by Ian, um, it was said that he was going to have, you know, an active role in communication with the fans. And like we all know, that's sort of what he was known for for 20 years with NBC. And it's interesting that we, we haven't really heard from him once. And he was a daily guest on TSN 1200 before he was yeah. with the team daily for years. And again, he's sort of faded. So I'm not sure what his role in a lot of this is. And with Dorian specifically, right, we haven't heard from him since Kachuk signed. And that's that's somebody we got to hear from because uh, I'm not going to defend DJ Smith at all. I haven't been thrilled with a lot of the coaching and lineup decisions. There's a plenty of criticism that's deserved there. But I feel bad for him because he's the one that yeah. has to pretty much eat it every day at this point. He's the one that's spoken pretty much every day this week about the team, had to face all the tough questions. And I think if there is truly no disconnect, like I was sort of figuring there was earlier in terms of the Murray situation, it seems like there is a disconnect, but if there is no disconnect between the player, the coach and the GM, I think that would be the time for Pierre Dorian to come down and, you know, get behind his head coach and sort of start to face some of this criticism for him. I think that would be, you know, that that would be pretty fair to DJ Smith. And if there is a disconnect there, I think you, if you're Dorian, you got to move on from Smith. I, Yep. If there's a disconnect or not, you got to figure that out. You got to sort of have a plan because as fans right now, we're not seeing what the plan is. And I think that's, it's interesting, you know, the, the transparency has through the rebuild has actually been pretty good. And I think that uh, teams of around the league started doing that. You know, they, 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 they started saying, look, this is what we're doing. We're going to strip it down. Essentially we're doing what we need, think we need to do. And this is what it will become. And, you know, this offseason, they said it's over. And that's not the case right now because we're already on draft Twitter and everyone's talking about the draft. And obviously that's always fun to look at. Um, but I was listening to the Wally and the Thought Show and, and on Sunday or Saturday or something, it was before one of the games on the weekend. Uh, and they said, like, this, this fan base deserves better than to go through another tank. You know what I mean? And, and I think the 2020 draft was, was pinned as the most important of this for this franchise. And I think that's been very apparent. Like Stutzla looks like he's going to be fantastic and we'll get to him in a second because he's, he's been fascinating to follow this season a little bit. Um, And then Jake Sanderson's on the way in the spring. So, you know, those pieces are coming and the rest of the draft is actually looking pretty solid, but as good as this next draft and especially next year's are going to be, if you're finding yourself in the lottery hunt in October and November already, like something's gone terribly wrong. And I can't help but think that the owner also feels the same way because, you know, this summer he extended both of them. Like he extended Dorian and then he, and then Dorian extended DJ. So, or in reverse order, but you know, if, if that wasn't the case and one of them had, you know, didn't have an extension for, next season then we'd be having completely different discussions right i mean yeah and i think another frustrating thing with all of it too is you know look at the teams we played this week um san jose anaheim la san jose has been going through for the past couple years but you can argue la and anaheim 
even began stripping it down after Ottawa did. And they've both seemingly turned it around already. And they're both playing fantastic right now. The Ducks and yep. uh, I know the Kings had lost five in a row coming into yesterday's game, but they had a pretty big winning streak before that. And the Ducks have looked fantastic all season. And I think that is one thing that's especially frustrating because, you know, it's clear in both those teams that there was a lot of communication just with fans and in sort of the management group there and what was going on. And they had really a clear set plan as to what the steps were. And they turned it around very quickly to the credit of both those teams. And I think, you know, the senators definitely had opportunities to turn this around quickly by making certain moves in the past two off seasons. But as we're seeing now, we're, in the lottery hunt still because they didn't make the moves that a lot of people figure they needed to bringing in some quality veterans, maybe packaging some of the B prospects and moving on. And I think over time, I think it, if you look at moves one by one by one and the reaction from the fan base has been, you know, I'll use, we played San Jose this week. So I'll use Rudolph Spalsers as, as an example, the senators waived him last year and he was snapped up by San Jose at the time. You know, a lot of people were upset, but then there was an equal amount of people saying, you know, chill out because it's just one player. But I think slowly over time, losing players and just from that example, making small miscalculations in terms of moves, it begins to add up and sort of therefore prolongs the rebuilding process. And I think that's why um, the Senators are finding themselves in the lottery hunt this year. And it, it sucks really, because like you said, the rebuild was promised to be over this year and um, and it's not. And I think I think the most unfortunate thing about a lot of it is that um, there plenty of this was predictable based on yeah. looking at that roster coming in the offseason. I can't speak for you, but I, I was pretty nervous coming in because I really didn't expect them to be a lot better or as good as they were towards the end of last season just because you were solely trusting the fact that they were going to be able to continue a run of momentum and that's sort of why I think we're seeing them unexpectedly to a lot of people towards the bottom. So there's a, there's a couple things that, that reminds me of and what I want to touch on. So firstly, the, the California teams, all three of those games in California were so winnable and that's the frustrating part. I think that's been like the case in a lot of their losses this year. I can probably count four or five that they've just, just been out of the entire time. Like the Las Vegas one, even the Colorado one, they just had no business being in it. Uh, games like that where the other team is clearly better. Um, but although the California game is very winnable, and, and you're right, I mean, L.A. and Anaheim are have been on the similar timeline. Like, they were uh, basement dwellers, the same as the Sens. They were always up there uh, in the lottery uh, standings, and it was, it was the three California teams essentially just always around there. Um, the, I like to look at the Red Wings as the better example for the Sens, I think, because the... Ducks and the Kings had the first of all have the luxury of being in California, so free agents are very, you know, easy to attract. But that's not obviously an excuse for the Senators' uh, group as a whole to attract those free agents. But you know, guys like Ryan Getzlaff and like Cam Fowler, and then Alonzo Kopitar, Drew Doughty, like they still had their main core pieces with them. So it's a lot. And then Getzlaff obviously has been really good this year. You know, Kopitar has been really good this year. So having those elite players stick around obviously helps expedite the rebuild process. But then I'll say that, and then you look at Detroit, and Detroit is exactly what I thought the Sens should be this year. And Detroit went out, uh, and I think they signed, you know, the Troy Stetcher two seasons ago, and he's been a good addition. Like, they, they made solid moves, and Steve Eiserman's looking like a genius again because Cider looks fantastic, and... uh 
you know, you could you could say the Sens don't have their prized blue chip defenseman yet, but uh, Raymond and Sider have not disappointed, and it's making it a little bit tough to swallow that they're in the same division on the same timeline. Didn't have as much lottery luck as Ottawa actually, and still look a lot better right now. So that's the team I look at. Um, I think with Detroit too, the one thing, and it shows just the value in making sure you're adding good pieces because you look at some of the players they've even added in the past couple of years, you know, Vlad Nemesnikov has been playing really well for them. They added Nedeljkovic in the summer. They added yeah. Pete Suter. It, it's just proof that players like that, there are good players that are constantly available in this league. And, you know, if you make the right moves, you can sort of accelerate the rebuilding process. And I think um, above anything else, it's just the a lot of the moves the Senators have made in the past um, two se- two seasons have started to backfire, especially on the defense, but um, and at the bottom of the forward group too. Yeah, I mean, there's small victories everywhere, right? I mean, I mean, Nemestikov was on the Sens and got traded and then signed with the Red Wings, and now he's a good part of the Red Wings team. And it's it's like pieces like that. If do you want to hang on to them? Do you want to not? Um, that come back and look not great at the end of the day. Uh, so, so that, that would be a team that I look at and, and get a little frustrated with. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot to talk about, uh, with the team and it, it's hard to get a sense of direction when we don't have any knowledge. Like there's no, no media, nothing. And it's just, we're getting and the that's coach where the and communication the... comes back in. That's exactly. Why exactly. we want to know. That's why we want to hear yeah. because we want to know what the thought process here is like it would generally just even from a neutral perspective be fascinating to know what the senators are thinking right now Mm -hmm. because i mean it's rare a team finds themselves in a situation where everybody's figuring they're on the major upswing um you know just over a month ago and then month of november goes by and they're looking down bad so so here's this is the other point I wanted to touch on that you brought up and it was in the off season, like how was I feeling about the team moving into this year? Uh, and I was, I was fairly confident that they would be competitive and kind of pick up where they left off. And I, I made this point a lot in the summer, like how rare is it that you get to bring back exactly the same team you finished the year with? Like they had that luxury uh, and give or take a few pieces essentially did like they, you know, changed out Holden, for, <clears throat> excuse me, changed out Holden for, um Brandstrom I guess which obviously not ideal um but then I think like the forward core was very similar to what we saw at the end of last year and looking like with hindsight now 20 20 some games in for every team looking at a team like Calgary who also made a few minor changes that were actually pretty strange in the offseason and it was like what I thought what is this team doing they should probably strip it down they have expiring contracts like what are they doing and they're one of the best teams in the league all of a sudden. And the frustrating thing is that Ottawa played them and was the better team against them all season last year, right? So the Flames have found another gear while the Sens have just taken three steps back. Uh, so looking at teams like that, and I mean, um, the Leafs, the Oilers, and the Flames are all tops in the NHL right now. And aside from the Oilers, like the Flames and the Leafs, the Sens gave them competitive games. And I thought... That, like reasonably, I think that the expectation was that they could continue to do so against all these other teams that hadn't really played them before and didn't really uh, understand. Like this is a brand new team, pretty much. Um, and I, I honestly, I do think that management and the Sens thought that that was going to be the case coming into this year. And 
I, I think that the injury to Shane Pinto is very understated uh, just because it, it that line looked really good towards the end of last year with Pinto and Connor Brown, and it pushed Nick Paul down to the third line, which is where he's elite and where he needs to be. Uh, he's he's a perfect top nine forward. Um, and and I think it's, it's like the Sharks game in Ottawa where Pinto got injured that first time is kind of where stuff went off the rails. It was after then the Rangers game followed that, and then since then they haven't really had a sniff. Yeah, um, obviously it's bad when you're losing Shane Pinto, and the one guy we really don't mention at all um, in terms of an injury perspective is Colin White. They lost Colin yep. White very early in training camp. And, you mm-hmm. know, you can make whatever comment you want about his contract. Anybody can criticize that because, you know, is he worth um, close to $5 million like he's making? Probably not. But at the end of the day, Colin White is, you know, a solid third line center. And he's young enough where he can probably, if he adds a bit more offense, be a second line guy. We'll see what the case is when he gets back and plays for them what's looking like next year but losing two guys like that is obviously something you can't plan for and that's really unfortunate for the senators but again i think it just points to the fact that they were trusting shane pinto um to be the second line center all season and they really had no safety net the only safety net in that term being colin white which is probably what they were planning in the summer um was a risk in itself and i think um, I'm not saying I think, you know, Shane Pinto can't play in the top six for the Senators right now. He probably could because he, he's shown very well so far, but very just as easily he could have come in this season and probably not made this team out of camp. Not a lot of 21-year-old centermen do. So I, I think there was just a bit of um, oversight in that perspective, and it's something you don't plan for. And moving Stutzla to center shows that there it is solvable, but again, it's just one of many issues and it's just sort of hindered this team again, but there are moves they could have made and moves they still could make. Um, the one I pointed to a lot was Dylan Strom when he was available a month ago with um, Chicago when they still had Jeremy Colleton. And it looks like he's found his legs again under the new coaching staff there. And he probably could have been available for very little. Like there are moves that they could have made already um, to address Definitely. that hole. And yeah. it's it just sucks that they didn't. And we're seeing still that they're going to continue to lack, especially down the middle um, and in the top six because of it. I think, I think you're right. And, and I'll bring Ian up again. Uh, I remember in the summer he was writing articles saying, you know, they should try Pinto for the first quarter of the season, which we've now hit. Like he, I think he explicitly said, like the 20 game mark, then you evaluate if he can be a second line center. So that can still hold true. Like you're at the 20 game mark and you can absolutely make changes right now. The problem is I don't think anyone expected them to be this bad. Like, I don't know if uh, like surely you would think, okay, they'll find a way to etch out a win, but just right now they're finding ways to lose games, which is the frustrating part, I think. And that's, why it's like how do you how do you answer that question if you're the team and, and you're the coach and um, it just brings us back to they need to they need to find the answer because it's their job. So I, I understand that there's obviously not a move that'll fix something right now, and it it feels like they're probably just in a waiting game, like waiting for people people like you said, like Colin White, who should probably be back in the new year. I'm assuming on the timeline stuff, uh, maybe a l- little bit later, but um, you know playing the waiting game isn't going to 
pay off for this fan base because we've been waiting and it's the calendar is going to flip to 2022 in a month. And you know, the Sens haven't made the playoffs since 2017. So we, we, they deserve more and expect more at this point, which is completely fair and justified. Um, and I, I guess it's just going to, the guys on the ice, like the core is just going to have to step up a little bit more uh, than they have, um, which kind of actually can bring us to Tim Stutzla because we haven't even talked about him. Um, one goal on the season, and it came in their one win of the month. Um, I think this kid looks so good this year, and I, I the stats don't show it, and it sounds like such a cliche, but he looks so good and so smart. The little subtle plays he's making, a lot of his uh, analytics are supporting that. Like They're much better than last season, but the stats aren't there. Like I think last year he went through his slumps here and there, but he, he put it together. Um, you just got to keep running with him, right? I mean, he looks great at center, but I, I don't know what to do with him. I think you just kind of let him keep working through it. And again, it's, I've said it through like three times already. Usually this is something you're not even batting an eye at because a player as young as Tim Stutzla and most other teams is second, third line player. But for the senators, they're expecting him, you know, to produce and produce well. And, you know, especially with Stutzla, like you said, a lot of smaller aspects of his game look a lot better just when you're watching. And I think um, the analytics do support that his defensive play has been a lot better. And that's great for his development at the end of the day. And I think, you know, it's, it's already turning into a bit of a lost season. I think that's the kind of victory we have to start to take away um, when analyzing the senators and some of these players. And, you know, Tim Stutzla is showing why I think a lot of the criticism of the core players is sort of unjustified at the moment, because I think if he had probably some better players to play with a lot of the time, you know, the past three, four games with Batherson's injury, He's gotten to play a bit yeah. more up in the lineup with Kachuk. He's gotten got a few reps with Norris, even the one game. Um, but that first 10, 15 games of the season, right? He's He was playing a lot with Tierney and Brown and then Paul and Brown. And again, no disrespect, especially to Nick Paul and Connor Brown, because I think they're really good guys to have, you know, on your third line, especially. But they're simply not skilled enough to play with Tim Stutzla. And again, yeah. it's nothing on those players, but that's just the reality of it and something we have to look at. It's outside of the top line of Kachuk, Norris and Batherson. There's really no other players on this team truly capable of playing with a guy that pushes the pace as much as Tim Stutzla. So I, again, I I'm still confident the points are going to come for him. This type of slump isn't going to last forever, but it's a sophomore slump. He's not the first one to have it. He's not the last one that's going to have a slump in his second year as he starts to figure things out more, but just as long as his play driving and his defensive play um, continue to look a bit better compared to last year, I think that's a massive, massive positive to take away. And yeah, hopefully he just figures it out soon because you can tell he's so frustrated and he's oh, yeah. totally wearing it. The body language from him, um, I think it was especially in the game yesterday. You know, it's not like he's not shooting the puck, it's not like he's getting a lot of, um, not getting a lot of high danger looks and it's starting to wear on him a bit. So I hope um, for his sake that, you know, a couple of them start to go in and just I'll add in lastly, the AHL talk for him needs to stop because, you know, this is a highly skilled guy and there's nothing he's going to learn in the AHL. The things he's got to learn are in the NHL, you know, when to shoot, when to make plays, how quick to make plays, the physicality, 
he's got to stay in the NHL more than that. I don't even want to like touch on that. Like I, I it's my, I don't know if it's ever worked where a player has played nearly a full season under his belt. And then you're like, okay, go back to the AHL. Like the Habs are trying to cash it with Caulfield early because they ruined cock and Yemi uh, yeah. by doing that. So terrible, terrible takes from some people saying he should go down there, but I won't get into it. Formanton um, too. I saw, I saw a couple of Formanton uh, things just, you yeah. know, to get rid of Formanton. Um, Somebody I, like somebody's called it like the Formantin experiment or something. Said we like, need to move on. Like none of that. Like he played forty five games. <laughs> the, the criticism for the young players is so so unjustified at this point. Yeah. Like I I don't even want to get into it because it's just frustrating to see people think that. Um, uh, and, you know, I, Kate, like I understand like Chuck can be a frustrating player to watch, and he's yeah. not young anymore necessarily, right? He's the captain, and he's open to criticism, whatever. Um, but I, during that whole skirmish, I just tweeted out like, Oh, I love this guy. Like, you know, he took himself out for four minutes and like, it's obviously not ideal, but who cares? Like they're, they're so bad right now that they, that's just the emotion that like, I like seeing and it's fun and entertaining and, you know, he's just a character and it's awesome to watch. Uh, and I had replies saying like, yeah, but he gets paid eight to 8.2 million. It's like, that's going to follow him wherever. And like I said, I wanted to be at that point where we could sit down and be like, okay, where should they be playing him? And where should they be doing this? Because oh, I will credit the coaching staff. I, I do think that his deployment of his top players has improved a lot since last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's still obviously changes he can make, but like just literally just moving Stussla to center and he's been there for the last three games. I don't think that's going to change until people start coming back from injury. Like, and it shouldn't, even when people come exactly. back from injury. He's shown that well there. So, That's the type of thing that yeah. shouldn't change. So this is the thing. We, we were talking about trades and they need to make moves. So we, we let's start speculating. What what would you do? Because I think there's a lot of candidates out there that you know could have been addressed in the offseason, could be addressed next offseason. That would be really good pieces for this team. I think there's two guys in San Jose that would look, either of them would look fantastic on this team. Um, but the thing for me is like if you're going to ride with Stutzla at center, then it changes your approach. Like you're not going to get a top six center. You're going to get a top six winger. Um, so the guy for me right now is Claude Giroux uh, because the Flyers have been struggling a little bit since their start of the year. They had a really hot start. Um, and then they've kind of trailed off a little bit. And so is Giroux a little uh, as well. But he's a guy who can play center, great on draws, but I think plays the right wing with Couturier, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Um that would be my guy as like a short-term option just up on, on a line up there. Uh, who, who would you be looking at? I think Giroux is a good shout, but I, I just don't see it being realistic um, during this season. I think in the yeah. off season when he's a free agent, I think very, very realistic option. And given some of the rumors that were being thrown around about a month ago, it's perhaps something he's open to even, which is all the better. Um, you know, like you said, there's a couple guys in San Jose. I'm sure you're referring to Hurdle, one of them possibly Meyer, the other yeah. um, players that were rumored to be on the move. But I, I just can't see the senators formulating that kind of trade. Um, it, yeah. it sucks. I would love for them to be able to, they probably could, but I just can't see them doing it. Um, and, I and, think, and, I think a realistic one, somebody that might actually get moved is Besser in Vancouver. Yeah. But hard. again, it's hard for me really to, for like I, I'd have to see it to actually believe it that the yeah. Senators can make that kind of a swing on a player because it's been a long time since they have. And the last time they like did, that. it was kind of why we're here right now, right? Exactly. And, I think, and, and, and so it's I can not understand. 
I can understand the hesitation a little bit, like from that perspective. Yeah, and it's not, but it, why I'd be less hesitant and to compare it a lot of the time, it's not the the team now compared to what it was on the Duchesne trade is very different. We're not trying oh, yeah. to bring in players to win right now, and these aren't veteran players a lot of the time. You know, Brock Besser is still a young guy, still would look really good on this team. Um, that would be my ideal winger for Stutzla, I think, too. I think Me he's too. got that natural goal-scoring ability, and he's he's a very underratedly uh, smart defensive player, Besser. So that's what I do. But in terms of an immediate move you could make now, that would probably improve the team. If you're into waving vets, I'd put Zaitsev on there tomorrow because I just oh. don't think um, he's up to the quality that this team requires right now. And... Um, and you keep Lassie Thompson when the defense starts to get a bit more healthy. I, they've been dealing with COVID and stuff. So um, I think that's an easy lateral move that you make and it makes the defense core better for it. And I think Josh Brown too on the defense core has got to go. I think, um, yeah, you know, besides the odd eye popping hit, which a lot of the senators crowd appreciates, I think you got to look at the overall big picture here and just when this team is good, um, Josh Brown's not going to be on it. So no. there's no point in keeping him here right now. So the, that right side is fun to speculate about, um, mostly because it's so bad. Uh, so if you could get rid of one right now, not get rid of off the books, because that would be Zaitsev, obviously, in a heartbeat. But it'd be, you know, if you could just get one off of the roster right now, who would it be? Because obviously Josh Brown's injured for the next month and a half, so he's gone for a while. Um, but for me personally, I'd say Zaitsev, uh, just because of the way he's used um, I think Josh Brown's using a very limited, like much more limited than it was at the start of the year because of how poorly he's played. Um, but I think Zaitsev's usage and like constant, constant usage as Shabbat's partner uh, is is criminal. Um, and it's what scares me, to be honest. That's what that's what like that's what like the evaluation of Zaitsev. If you're willing to wave Matt Murray, why hasn't Zaitsev been there, right? And I understand like trying to do right by the player, but you just sent down Matt Murray after he had COVID. Like you, you've, you've, that's all out the window. Like in, unless you're sticking by it and saying Nikita Zaitsev is a top four defenseman in the NHL, that's hey, if you believe that, say it because he's not. <laughs> and like, like we said, the communication has to be better uh, about that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, on communication with Zaitsev, I think it was at Pierre Dorian's year-end presser last year where he called him an elite defensive defenseman. Yeah, and that 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 has just never been the case with Zaitsev. And it's just I, I, I'd agree with you. He's he'd have to be the guy that I would get rid of right now. Um, yeah, put him in Belleville and figure it out. Whether you you got to trade an asset at this point, they've got enough B assets where they can probably get that contract off the books, get it somewhere. I'm sure somebody would even take him. There's a lot of really silly GMs out there. Um, but it's just, it, it's a bit of a crisis. Cause like you said, um, now it seems like waving veterans is, you know, it's totally acceptable now that we've done it with Murray. So I think it's, if they truly believe Zaitsev isn't a part of this team going forward and based on DJ Smith's usage of him the past few games, I've, I've been very critical of it in the past and stuff like that. And that's always been my biggest criticism of DJ Smith is how he uses, um, replacement level players like Zaitsev, his his minutes have gone down significantly in the yeah, past yeah. five, six games. And um, it's becoming increasingly clear, just like with Murray, I think Smith is becoming increasingly frustrated with Zaitsev because that was somebody he counted on before. And now it's sort of becoming evident to him. It's really not somebody he can count on. Yeah. So 
I think you got to address it then. And again, but it didn't seem like there was a lot of communication with the Murray situation between coach and GM. And I, so I'm not sure how much there is between them about the defense core, but it's something you got to start to look at. Yeah. And, and, and like you said, I think the Murray uh, waving opens doors. Um, and I, if, if anything, it should serve as a wake up call to the rest of the team, you know, like no one's safe kind of thing. Um, my sense is like, you know, playing on playing on a hockey team, it's it's frustrating when a goalie isn't playing well uh, because it can be really crippling. And like, I can't even imagine at the NHL level, like people players will be like, oh, we don't pay attention to who gets paid what, who gets paid what. They're all lying. Like they all know exactly who gets paid what. Uh, and when your goalie who's won two cups comes in and like isn't good, despite what was thought of him before he was brought in, that's his resume. And he's, I think, 27 years old. Like, he's not an old goalie. He's not washed uh, by terms of age. So I think the team was growing increasingly frustrated with him. Um, and DJ Smith clearly was. And I, that, that post-game stuff from DJ after the Sharks game, I loved that. Like, I, I really do like a lot of stuff that DJ does. Um, I just didn't expect this season to be the one where it was, you know, is a coaching or management problem. Like, I thought it was going to be, okay, this looks great with this. Uh, coach he's doing a good job because there's times like I said with his deployment of the top guys where he'll just roll the second line and first line like for five ten minutes straight and it's just like this is incredible to watch um, I think that's about it for uh, today we kind of just had no agenda we just went at it because there's a lot to talk about um, and the Sens don't play for another few days so we just decided that we would come on and, and um, just discuss everything that we could well, it's uh, the, the Tire Fire Cup on December 1st between the Senators and the Canucks. So, um, I, that's actually a good question. So of the three, so I mentioned three Canadian teams doing really well, and then there's Winnipeg who's kind of hovering, and then there's three who are doing really per- terribly. Of the three who are doing terribly, who would you want to take over as GM of right now? Oh, man. That's, I think Montreal is out of it for me. I don't. I wouldn't want to do the Habs just based on all their money and like. But I think the Canucks I, I don't and speak French. I don't think they'd want me. So, <laughs> um, but I, I'd probably go with. Uh, oh man, that's hard. But I'd probably go with Vancouver. I think they've got the better younger pieces out of the three teams. They've got the two mm. absolute dead-on superstars and Pedersen and Hughes. Despite the fact they're not playing great right now, that's probably who I'd go for. And I think Pedersen's um, been been having a tough year. I yeah. don't know if he's up points tonight, but yeah. Again, that probably seems like, you know, there's a coaching change and GM change imminent there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Montreal's probably got too many backloaded contracts to consider taking that job in Ottawa. Um, there's there's a lot of work to do. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that's fair. And I think, you know, Vancouver, obviously, just huge market. I think that'd be a, a desirable job. So Absolutely. Um, that, that'd be my choice too. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you for everyone who tuned in. Uh, we couldn't, we couldn't really read the comments. Sorry. StreamYard is still broken, um, which isn't ideal, but uh, hopefully people were engaged in talking and uh, we'll see you guys next time.